Marcus, get this kid off me before he pisses on me, all right? Fuck with my beard. It's not real. No shit. Well, it was real, but you see, I got sick and all the hair fell out, so I had to wear this fucking thing. How'd you get sick? I loved a woman who wasn't clean. Mrs. Santa? No, it was her sister. A miserable alcoholic thief who poses as a department store Santa learns the true meaning of Christmas. Well, kinda. Listen as we chat about method acting versus being unprofessional, why you only ever fix sandwiches, and the worst name possible for a physics teacher's kid. You won't shit right for a week after finding out <laughs> if bad Santa stands the test of time. <laughs> James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with a glut Alan says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello, everybody, and Merry Christmas. Welcome to our Christmas episode of the Test of Time podcast. My name is Alan Noah, and your name is what again? I'm James Brief, and there is nothing like two Jewish boys <laughs> reviewing Christmas films. That is true. I have thought about, like, we should do a Hanukkah movie, but there aren't any other than Eight Crazy Nights by Adam Sandler. And I remember seeing that in the theater and I loved Adam Sandler. And I remember even as a kid, I was like, this movie's terrible. I did see, it was a year or two ago, one of these like Hallmark Christmas type films called Miracles and Menorahs. It was amazing. It sounds the opposite of amazing. And if it was a Hallmark movie, then it doesn't count for our podcast. And if it came out a year or two ago, it doesn't count for our podcast. So I think our pickings are slim for Hanukkah movies. One film that ironically probably would have been unbelievably epic, but is probably not going to be made. Um, director Mel Gibson had made this film, The Passion of the Christ, mm -hmm. and you know, made all the money that year. And his follow-up was going to be the Maccabees. And the Maccabees, the story of Hanukkah, and it's, a, it's a Jews versus the Greeks, and it's a guerrilla warfare, and then the few beat the, the mighty Greek army. It would have been unbelievable. He directed Braveheart. Like, he knows how to do a war film. Um, I can't remember why. Why didn't uh, Mel Gibson make that movie about the uh, Jewish holiday again? It might be because Mel Gibson hates Jews. Oh, I thought it was because someone didn't like Bird on a Wire. No, no, no. It's because Mel Gibson hates us. He really hates us. That actually does lead me into what I wanted to talk about today, which is this movie that we're talking about, Bad Santa, is an R-rated Christmas movie. This is different from the other Christmas movies we've done on the podcast. We did Scrooged and Home Alone and Elf, A Christmas Story. And these movies are all kind of like, family-friendly-ish. I mean, maybe there's some bad words in Scrooged or whatever, but like they're about the spirit of Christmas and not all Christmas movies are like that, you know, as we'll talk about with Bad Santa. Mel Gibson had a movie, I think it was last year, it was called Fat Man, where he was like a vengeful asshole Santa Claus. I don't think it did very well. I remember like the trailer kind of made some 
news on Twitter or it was like trending for a day or two of like, is this a real movie? But apparently it was. I'm guessing you didn't see that. No, I didn't know it existed. Um, this season, there's this uh, film out from uh, David Harbour. It, it looks pretty, pretty fucking cool, I have to say. It looks pretty uh, funny. It's with John Leguizamo. It's called Violent Night. Which is a great title. It's a great title. And I think he's the real Chris Kringle Santa Claus. It's kind of like a Home Alone-ish. I, I don't know what it's about, but that's what the commercials make me think. And I would like to watch it. Am I going to see it in the theaters? I don't know. Eli really wants to see that. Maybe I would let him see that one. I don't really know a lot about it. Um, there was Office Christmas Party a few years back. That was uh, with Jason Bateman and... T.J. Miller. T.J. Miller, right? Jennifer Aniston. Jennifer Aniston, right, right. That was funny. I like that movie. Do you remember that movie, Jack Frost? Not the one with Michael Keaton, which I think was like a family-friendly movie where like a dad dies and he becomes a snowman. But there was another Jack Frost movie where a guy who's, I think, was a murderer somehow turns into a snowman and then he kills people. I vaguely remember this, like, seeing it in Blockbuster, but never actually seeing it. Right. I think it was a direct-to-video movie. Sure, why not? Why not have a killer snowman in a movie? Yeah. Um, one uh, one film that was uh, hysterical, I thought, was uh, A Very Howard and Kumar Christmas. Yes, that was the capper of the trilogy. That was. And it's not politically correct, but it was a very funny film. I think they smoke weed with Santa in the end. Like, Probably. Or, or at least in a fantasy sequence. Um, there is this one film I have to plug here. This movie is bonkers. And I don't want to say anything about it, but if you're okay with a not disturbing in like a a hostile film, it's not torture porn, it's nothing like that area, you think it's, oh, it's maybe a little Christmas, maybe it's a little Home Alone-ish, and maybe it's a little uh, crush on the babysitter kind of story, Um, it goes in a different direction. This movie is called Better Watch Out. I'm sure you've never heard of it. It's, no. it's completely indie. I've kind of waited for it to kind of become this cult-like film. I just looked and saw that it's on Peacock. That's all I'm looking up. So if I want to watch it, then maybe I will. Yes, I'm not even going to say whether I liked it or not, but bonkers. Two other R-rated Christmas movies, both of which we have not done on the podcast, but we will. Love Actually, Courtney will come back on for that episode. And of course, obviously... Die Hard. I knew you were going there because it's controversial if it's a Christmas movie or not. We'll save it for that episode. I don't know why that's a controversy. I mean, Love Actually, if it's rated R, fine. But what does it have like? Uh, it has a story of an affair in it, so they made it R? Yeah, there's some sex stuff, yeah. But yeah, it's not like these kinds of movies. This film, Bad Santa, is probably as far away from Jesus and the Bible that you can get. I've only seen this film like uh, once or twice before this week. When Lauren Graham's character, when she meets Willie, uh, Billy Bob Thornton's uh, bad Santa character, he says he's a Santa. And she's trying to kind of play it up. Like, oh, Santa, that must be nice. And he's like, I'm a Santa who drinks and I curse and I fuck. Will you leave me alone? You remember what her response is. Show me or prove it. Yeah. And then it immediately does. What is it? A smash cut? Yes. Smash cut to her straddling him in his car, bouncing on top of him and screaming, fuck me, Santa. Fuck me, Santa. Fuck me, Santa. Fuck me, Santa. And it is so funny. 
apparently Lauren Graham auditioned for the movie with this scene and she apparently straddled a chair and she probably did it similarly because she is so funny in that scene. Right, right, right. It is a very different kind of Christmas movie. Yeah, and uh, this movie is about a drunk, miserable, and lonely thief named Willie, who, along with his partner Marcus, runs an annual Christmas con. Willie gets a job as a department store Santa, and Marcus plays the role of his elf. Then they use their access to the store to rob it on Christmas Eve. And things go well for a few years, but Willie's drinking is getting worse and worse. They're working at another mall in Arizona, and Willie meets a kid who thinks he is the real Santa. And Willie also begins a relationship with a woman who has a Santa fetish. In the end, they have a robbery to carry out, but it takes a foul-mouthed Christmas miracle to make everything right. Right, right. So was this a big hit at the box office? I feel like I remember that it was talked about, and I guess it had to be successful enough because they did make uh, Bad Santa 2, right? Yeah, um, this film had a modest budget. It was a $23 million budget. It opened at number five, but it opened at number five on Thanksgiving weekend. And that's back when Thanksgiving weekend used to have, you know, number one was $100 million. So number five had $16 million. And it wound up uh, grossing $60 million. So that's like, uh, you know, four and a half times multiplier. So good for them. Uh, $76 million worldwide. That doesn't count any uh, DVDs and streaming sales. And as you said, they did make a uh, Bad Santa 2, which I believe was not very financially successful. I mean, they didn't complete the trilogy. I never saw a Bad Santa 2 and wasn't really tempted to after like the reviews were meh. Yeah, and uh, also it didn't have two elements that made this film unbelievable. It failed to have uh, John Ritter and Bernie Mac, of course, because they, they had both passed away. The scenes with the two of them talking in Bernie Mac's office, gold, just gold. The way that they play off of each other is so funny. They are perfectly matched i mean they have three scenes together when they're just like chatting in the office like bernie mac plays a security guard and john ritter i guess runs a department store and it's just so funny where john ritter is just so nervous and he's trying to say the things that he heard willie say bernie mac is just so cool as a cucumber he's not showing any emotion he's just having his orange he's making his X-Lax or whatever drink, Metamucil, whatever it is. Those three scenes are my favorite part of this movie. Um, They're fantastic parts of the film. And you know, the amazing part is the script is not that funny uh, in those scenes. It's really Bernie Mac and John Ritter. Yes. Could there be someone else that could have done it funny? Possibly. John Ritter trying to say, not say dwarf or midget, but he's trying to jump around it. And, uh, you know, he's trying to say he was going to F her in her A-S-S. Bernie Mac's just like, well, there's nothing illegal about that. Right. It's so funny how he says it because Bernie Mac, I think, hates this guy. I think he hates his boss. This guy actually is kind of a scumbag. Right. Um, I love the scene when uh, Bernie Mac is able to catch a shoplifter, but it's just like... 13-year-old boy, and where does he hide the Xbox games? He hides them in the front of his pants, and he doesn't care at all. Probably his friends told him, yeah, shove it down in the front of your pants, because then they can't do anything. And Bernie Mac is like, I 
don't care. I'm going to reach in your pants and grab the Xbox games. The kid is right. He can't do that. Probably right there, even though he had stole those Xbox, that kid today, probably if that was caught on camera, he gets half a million dollars from this corporation. Also, he then takes the kid's MP3 player which is a test of time thing that he has an MP3 player. But, you know, he's like, give me that. And the kid's like, well, this wasn't a thing I stole. He's like, give it to me anyway. And and he's intimidating. And the, the kid gives it to him. You know who else is hysterical in this film? Tony Cox, the guy who plays Marcus. He is so funny in this film. He plays so well off of Billy Bob Thornton. It's probably such a fun role to play. I read some quote by Billy Bob Thornton that if he could relive any time of his life, it would be the filming of this film and apparently The Alamo, which was a huge flop. But this film is probably so much fun to make. He apparently was kind of method and showed up to some of the scenes totally drunk. The scene where he's like crashes on the escalator and can't get up. Apparently he was totally drunk for real. Is that going method or is that just getting drunk and being unprofessional? It's probably both. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where you draw the line there. Uh, Also, the uh, the director, uh, I I hope I don't uh, mispronounce his name, Terry Zwigoff. I haven't seen Ghost World. I remember that was nominated for a bunch of awards. Uh, Ghost World actually is a movie that uh, our friend Kevin Smokler wanted to come back on the podcast to discuss. Hmm. And uh, Kevin, if you're listening, we would love to have you back on to talk about that movie or anything else for that matter. You know who was almost uh, cast in the role of Willie? Who's that? One of your favorite comedic actors. Bill Murray? That's right, Bill Murray. It wouldn't have been the disgustingness of Billy Bob Thornton, but he could have done it. I mean, Bill Murray could do this the right way. Sure. Uh, We did see Bill Murray in a Christmas movie, Scrooged. Right, and we did see him as kind of a, like alcoholic loser parts of uh, Groundhog Day when he's when he's totally depressed and he's drinking and suicidal. I imagine that's kind of the uh, role he would play this. Right. There's one more actor in this film, another uh, late actor. Wonderful. She has a very, very small role in this film. Do you know who I'm talking about? Oh, Grandma, Cloris Leachman. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even the second time I saw the film, I thought that they were going to kill Grandma off and it was kind of oh, this is where Willie gets a little bit of humanity. It's just a fake out. It's totally to pull on the the heartstrings of the audience and also make you think, oh, this poor boy has no one to care for him and his grandma's dead now. No, she's alive, just snoring. It was really (laughs) funny. Right, right. She says, I'll fix you some sandwiches. And then the kid says, I'll fix you some sandwiches. It's just like a recurring line. I've always found that to be weird. Like, the sandwiches aren't broken. I know I'm being obnoxiously literal, but, like, you only fix sandwiches. No other kind of food is fixed, right? Yeah, I guess uh, I'll fix you a plate. Everyone's grandma had, like, that phrase that they'd always say. I feel like the screenwriter put that in because that's what his grandma said. I'll fix you a sandwich. Oh, you're over. Let me fix you a sandwich. My grandma said something different. If I was a screenwriter, I've always thought I'd put these grandmaisms in there. What would your grandma say? Well, I have two grandmas. One would be like, Leish, what for you need this, Jamie? And uh, <laughs> James Ele. And the other one would have been like, oh, James Ele, time to go to dinner. Aw. Okay, so this movie is obviously very, very raunchy. When I was watching it, I kind of felt like this movie's trying very hard to be raunchy, to be over the top. Like, you could almost imagine the writer thinking, What's the most 
out there thing I could have this character do or say. I think that kind of took me out of it a little bit, that it was really trying to push the envelope. And I guess that's a problem with any raunchy comedy. I don't know. I felt like it was a little bit more visible in this movie than some others. After a while, the cursing has diminishing returns. I don't know about you. I saw the director's cut of the film, which doesn't really have too much more, but it has a lot more cursing in it. But the thing in this film that I was not expecting that just makes me, like, spit out my drink funny. There's a part where uh, Thurman, and his name is Thurman Merman. Right. You know, you think that's really fake, but no, I am a pediatrician. There are some questionable names parents give their kids like you do know what your last name is right like (laughs) you've seen your last name and you've said these two words together right oh now i really want you to say one of these names and i guess you probably can't i can't say it of course because they're my pages but like you know i'm sure you can look up ridiculous names but for some reason there are so many politicians that have these weird names like Chris Christie, Tom Tomlinson. Like, when your last name is Tomlinson, how do you name your kid Thomas? I'm not going to name my kid Brianna, because then she'd be Brie Brief. Like, well, eh, that's kind of a cool superhero name, but uh, that's her secret identity. I don't know if I've ever told this story before on the podcast, but speaking of cruel names, there was a rumor about my high school physics teacher, Mr. Kuehl. And everyone said that his daughter had this name. And I was like, this is not true because he wouldn't do that. He's a maybe a jerk of a teacher, but he absolutely wouldn't name his daughter that. And then one day she was at school for a show or something. And he introduced me to his daughter, Molly. He was a physics teacher named Mr. Kuehl who named his daughter Molly Kuehl. I was like, dude, that's fucking wrong. That is just wrong. Why would you do that to this poor, sweet girl? (laughs) I I felt awful. I didn't believe it. I thought it was just a bullshit high school rumor. But I met the girl. Her name is Molecule. Wow. Yeah. But, you know, uh, I was saying before that the part that makes me spit out my drink when I see it, because it was so unexpected, is when Thurman Merman comes to Willie at one point. And he's always like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Why the fuck are you saying this? And he just goes what the fuck is wrong with your eye, kid? And he's about to kill himself. That's the dark scene here. Willie's in the garage, a car with the uh, hose in the tailpipe in the driver's seat. He's about to kill himself. He's written a confession letter of like everything he's done horrible. Thurman comes in and he says, what the fuck happened to your eye? It's a smash cut to Willie not having a stern talking to. No, he is a grown man who beats the shit out of this, like, 14-year-old bully. Right. And it is so funny. You know, Thurman Merman, maybe there's something wrong with him. Maybe he's just more like PTSD from his parents being gone and he has no adult in his life. But this kid is, uh, he's easy pickings for a real piece of shit. And it's one thing when they're like, calling him like a loser and that that happens to everyone and there's another thing when they're just like you know telling come here come here kid we want to talk to you when he walks away but then they're beating him up because he comes with like a black eye so am i allowed to laugh at a kid getting the shit beaten out of him by an adult in a movie yes i also liked when um mr miyagi beat the shit out of uh the cobra kai kids so that worked too 
Right. I think in a movie, it's okay. And especially in a movie like this, where it's trying very hard to be outrageous and show you something shocking. If it shows you something shocking and it makes you laugh, that's what's supposed to happen. This is shocking, but also his first redeeming act. Right, right, right. And when you said before about diminishing returns, it made me think of the line when Willie is caught in the dressing room having sex with someone, we don't know who, but he's having anal sex with her and he says, you ain't gonna shit right for a week. That's funny. But then John Ritter is telling Bernie Mac what he heard and it's funny because it's that great chemistry between John Ritter and Bernie Mac, but it's like he's repeating that line and then the line is less funny because we just heard it and now you're milking that line because you can almost imagine the screenwriter being like, that's such a good line. I can't only use that line once. So they're just kind of milking it. Oh, yeah. And later, uh, he's trying to get uh, the attention of this prostitute that lives at the motel where he's crashing. He needs some information. And, and she thinks he's motioning her over because he wants to hire her again. She goes, no way, Willie. I didn't shit right for a week. And that's a callback. It's really funny. You know who that was? No. Who was that? That is Oscar winner Octavia Spencer. That's really funny. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think she just has like that one line. Also, random small parts in this movie. Alex Borstein from Miss Maisel. She's uh, one of the parents in like a early montage. And uh, Samir from Office Space. Ajay Naidu. I might have butchered the pronunciation of his name and I apologize. But uh, he pops up for, for one scene. But yeah, Oscar winner Octavia Spencer is talking about not being able to shit right for a week in this movie. That's really funny. You know, it seems to be so easy to translate this movie in other languages. Just call him Santa Mal. In uh, the Czech Republic, the title of this film is just Santa is a pervert. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you could do a little better with the title there. Yeah. Um, You know, one thing I give this movie credit for, they have Tony Cox, who is a little person. They do certainly make references to his size, but I would say there is no cheap uh, little person jokes in this film. You know, someone tells him, help me clip the jumper cables, and he goes, I'm three foot tall, you asshole. I can't do it, you piece of shit. Like, draw me a diagram of how I'm going to lift up Willie and get him to his car, you piece of shit. Like, it's so funny. I see what you're saying. They could have made cheap jokes about him. They could have made cheap jokes about Thurman Merman maybe having some kind of intellectual disability. And they don't. You know, they just make a lot of other cheap jokes and offensive jokes and whatever. But it's within the, the spirit of... Willie is a bad guy, so it's okay, I guess. When you were saying about how he beat up the uh, the bully and that's like his one redemptive moment, there was one part I thought was like a little, not emotional, emotional is way too strong of a word, but like a moment where you kind of feel something other than just laughing at the ridiculous things that are happening. And that's when Thurman is talking about like his report card or something. And he's like, well, I just thought maybe you'd buy me a present, not because you're the real Santa, but because we were friends. But I guess I'm just too much of a fucking loser. And like everyone's been calling him a fucking loser for the whole movie. And then he refers to himself as a fucking loser. Prior to that point, you think maybe he's just kind of immune to it. Like you can say whatever you want to this kid and it just bounces off of him. But then you realize that no, it's getting through to him. He believes that he's a fucking loser. I was like this poor fucking kid. 
And then, you know, it goes right back to the raunchy stuff and you don't have to worry about feelings anymore after that. Yeah. And uh, also there is a scene where Willie does not have sex with uh, Lauren Graham. I forgot why. What, what, what's the reason? Like, he's like, not tonight. Because they're interrupted when the kid goes to give him a present. Yes. yes you know, yes. it kind of kills just having cheap sex with this random woman because now this kid has done something that is quote unquote touching or kind or whatever. Yeah. And it's a throwback to an earlier scene. Uh, Willie had been passed out, drunk and hung over. And suddenly you hear this shriek of, ow, ow, ow. And the poor kid, he had sliced his palm open. I mean, that looks like it hurts so much. And he needed serious stitches. I don't think he got stitches. I think they said, I guess you should maybe wrap a t-shirt around that. Right. Uh, you know, but um, later when he gives Willie the present, uh, it's a little like, something he carved and he's like the fuck is this stain he goes oh sorry that's a little bit of my blood i got it on there when i cut myself carving this for you and that's when willie's like oh fuck like willie didn't even ask him what were you doing right like he just poured some vodka on the hand without warning him that it's gonna sting he did say i should have warned you right but um yeah i think that's the first part when he starts to have a little bit of a, a soul or any semblance of a, a good person Right. And, you know, the movie ends with him, I guess, doing the right thing, kind of, where he goes to give the present to the kid. He wanted a purple elephant or a pink elephant. He can't remember which. But, like, it's not really much of a redemption arc. He never really changes and decides to do good. He just kind of is about to get dicked over by his partner. And then the cops show up because he had written that letter and given it to Thurman earlier when he was going to kill himself. It's fine that there's not like a character arc and development and growth and learning a lesson because that's not really what this movie is. I feel like there should be something in there of like learning the Christmas spirit even if it's kind of superficial, I felt like this movie kind of just skipped all of that. Maybe that was the point. I thought it was the opposite. I thought you would mention it earlier. I thought it was Thurman's one wish. I thought that wish was great. He didn't wish it to Santa because until this scene, we thought Thurman thought that Santa's living in his mom's room. But no, he goes, I know you're not the real Santa. I just thought maybe someone would give me a present if I ever got a friend one day, essentially. And I think he's like, if I'm going to do one thing in my miserable, worthless, I should have ended it last night life, I'm going to give this kid a present. Because he gave me a present. That's probably the first present this guy's gotten since he was eight years old. I think that's the redemption. And he even says in the letter from prison, he's like, hope you like the elephant. Sorry if I got some blood on it when the cops shot me. But it was okay because there was blood on the present that the kid gave him. So that's like their special bond. Yeah. I think you're right. That probably is the lesson and the arc. And it's pretty fucking thin. You mentioned that you watched the director's cut. I actually took out from the library the director's cut. That was just the DVD I grabbed. And then I was like, oh, I shouldn't watch the director's cut. I'll watch the real version. And I watched it on demand. And I looked up the uh, the differences. Apparently, in the director's cut, there's no VO in the beginning. You didn't hear any VO in that opening scene where he's at the bar? No, no, I don't remember any of that. Well, in the original version, there is voiceover that is pointless and stupid. And it just says that he's a sad sack and his dad taught him how to crack safes, which is information that you get later on anyway. And you don't need the voiceover 
you see that he's a sad sack because he's at a bar and all these people are celebrating and having fun and having a Christmas party and he's there drinking alone. Voiceover is completely pointless. I will say I was wondering how this guy was able to crack uncrackable safes. I just figured he's a criminal, then criminals can do that stuff. So it was fine enough for me, but this guy's such a fuck up and this seems like a very, very skilled uh, task to do. Maybe I missed it and he says it somewhere else, but it would have been a good throwaway line that's like, my father was a piece of shit, told me how to crack a safe, but that's all. Something like that. I think he says that to Thurman. I could be wrong. It's possible between a couple fucks and shits that I missed that one. Exactly, exactly. But there's also another version of the movie, Badder Santa, which was like a different kind of director's cut or... Maybe the director's cut did have the director's involvement and Badder Santa didn't. And that was like the unofficial one. I don't know if that like there's really all that much of a difference between these three different versions. I don't know that this movie needs three different versions out there, but there are. And also, it's kind of a waste that they made a DVD version Badder Santa when they could have saved that name for the sequel. Instead, the sequel is just Bad Santa 2, but that would have been the obvious name for a sequel. I feel like Badder Santa is only if there's a second one. If there's like a Badder Santa. Oh, I guess you could be saying he's even worse than the first film. No, I think if there was another Santa that's also bad, then right. it's Bad Santa T-O-O. Right, 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 right. You're mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But James, let me ask you, do you think that Bad Santa stands the test of time? Uh, You know, uh, you mentioned earlier that you had not seen Bad Santa 2 because of the reviews and everything. I probably won't watch it because I would worry it might taint this film. It's ridiculous. You can't think about a lot of this stuff. How the hell is this Thurman Merman guy, like, actually surviving? Who's buying the food? Like, I mean, his dad went to jail. His mom, is she dead? Like, they mentioned something. I wasn't sure what, what happened to her. I think the mom's dead and the dad's in jail. Yeah, but it's it's just so ridiculous. And uh, the entire scam is uh, dependent on Marcus disarming of the uh, alarm exactly on time. And he always seems to make it by like half a second. Right. And it's like sliding down air vents and everything. And don't think about that stuff. That's not for this film. This is about watching, enjoying, laughing, and not being offended. Because if you would find something that's going to kind of shit on the Christmas uh, spirit and everything for most of the film, this is not for you. In the end, yes, there's some lessons that are learned, but this is not uh, It's a Wonderful Life. And No. But that's not what it's trying to be. And what it is trying to be, I think it's very successful at. And, you know, almost 20 years after the film's released, it's still really funny. So I'm going to say, yes, the film does stand the test of time. What do you think, Al? Um, It's interesting that you said the word offensive. And, you know, we've talked on the podcast and other episodes about how something that wasn't offensive back then was really offensive now about whatever movie. And this movie does have offensive shit in it. But it's not, oh, it's offensive now and wasn't offensive then. It was offensive then. It was supposed to be offensive then. And it's still the same level of offensive now. It hasn't changed, gone up or down in any way. It is a flat line. I don't think I found this movie as funny as you did. I laughed several times. I laughed in every John Ritter, Bernie Mac scene, a couple of other chuckles along the way. But 
I think I was taken out of it because I just kept imagining the screenwriter being like, what would be so outrageous that I can put in this scene? Oh, that's pretty outrageous. Wait, wait, wait. I just thought of something even more outrageous. And then he puts that in. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. I think it's fairly hit or miss. I don't think I'm going to watch this movie again because I thought it was fine. It was funny. I think there's funnier raunchy movies out there. Um, A few years back, I watched Good Boys, which was very raunchy and had me rolling on the floor. At some point on the podcast, we'll do Super Bad, which was super raunchy and I loved. Maybe this movie was less funny because I'd seen it before. Maybe raunchy movies are really only funny the first time you watch it. I don't know if that's true. That's just a theory. I'm just I'm spewing off the top of my head. I don't love Bad Santa. That said, there's really nothing about it that doesn't stand the test of time. I think it works every bit as well now as it did when it first came out in 2003. So for that reason, I'll say that, yes, it does stand the test of time. But that's going to do it for our Christmas episode. Next week for our New Year's episode, we're going to be talking about Fletch starring Chevy Chase. That is a movie that I have heard about many, many, many times and never seen. So I am excited to finally sit down and watch Fletch. I've never seen it either. And, uh, you know, as as someone who grew up in the 80s, like Chevy Chase was a big deal. And this is one I've never seen of his collection. Yeah, so that'll be fun. It'll be good to finally check out Fletch. Until then, of course, as always, we want to hear from you. We are at Test of Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hey, did you get us a Christmas present? Probably not, because we're just people who you listen to on the internet. But you could. You know what Christmas present you could give us? A review on Apple Podcasts. That would be lovely. That would be the perfect Christmas present. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be a paragraph. Just be like, hey, good podcast, LOL, something like that. I don't know. It helps other people find the show. So if you could do that, we would appreciate it. And have a very Merry Christmas to everyone who celebrates. And we'll see you next week, everybody. Bye.